Well, we're going to turn now to Isaiah 35. I'll read the whole chapter, but I'm going to only preach from the first seven verses this morning. The title of the sermon is this, that the desert shall blossom. And before I read Isaiah 35, we're reminded that we've been in this section of Isaiah, we've been preaching Isaiah in the evening service, and this large section from chapter 13 to 30, well, 39 actually, but, but the end of this, this what's known as the book of judgment is this absolutely marvelous prophecy of the Lord's reviving work and the future Christ. But let's hear the word of God, 35 from verse 1. I'll read the whole chapter. It's only 10 verses, but let's hear the word of God together. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And that's the whole of Isaiah 35. But the title of the sermon this morning is that the desert shall blossom. So this text is at the beginning, for you and I anyway, in, of 2022. This wasn't given at the beginning of 2022. It was given about 700 years before Christ actually came. So that teaches us something. And what it teaches us this morning the first thing it teaches us is it begins, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. That the Bible is a 
forward-looking book. And our faith is to be a forward-looking faith. So we're always to be looking forwards. And we'll look at that more uh, this morning. This chapter is full of hope. It's a chapter that's full of joy. Uh, it's full of Christ as well. And Christ is prophesied, though people may have read this immediate context where it says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice, and the blossom like the crocus. We think of crocuses because... It's not going to be long before we, they're, going to be, they're going to be coming up above the surface again, isn't it? You know, just one or two months and they're going to be coming out. And it's a mark of spring that the winter is over. But we'll look at that in a moment. This chapter's full of joy. And though people may have read this and thought, this maybe is prophecy of what's going to happen. Because they're beginning to find out that they're going to go into exile to Babylon. Which is still a long way after this is given. And though there may be echoes of coming back from Babylon, this is actually foreshadowing the coming of Jesus Christ. And even beyond the coming of Jesus Christ, to the second coming of Jesus. Are you looking forward to the second coming of Jesus? Because the Bible says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Well, look at this. A little bit later in the sermon. But who knows? Tomorrow... Jesus could come back. Jesus could come back. No one knows the day or the hour when he will come. Are we ready for his coming? And looking forward to what his coming would lead to. The promise of heaven. What a delight that would be. And we have three headings for us. And the first heading this morning is the desert blossoms, which we'll look at. First of all. Secondly, God saves. And thirdly, that Christ Jesus heals. So let's take a look at verse 1 and 2 again. It says here in Isaiah 35, the desert blossoms. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, and then at the end of verse 2, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now, we live in a country, don't we, that, that rains a lot. If you ever see grammar books, especially in places like Germany, they still have old phrases. They have older books, people walking around with umbrellas, and people have to learn phrases such as, it's raining cats and dogs. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I don't meet many English people that use that phrase very often. But the picture is always that all it does here is rain and rain and rain. But compared to a lot of countries, we do get rain, and we don't have any desert in this country. And so therefore, when we read in verse 35 that the desert shall rejoice, let's just think for a moment what a desert is desert where there's no rain there's no vegetation we prayed actually for Saudi Arabia and that really is a nation that's a desert but there are desert places in Israel and in North Africa and just think about a, a desert a spiritual well not a spiritual but a, a natural wilderness in a sense but yet the word of God says the desert blossoms 
the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. And there were various kinds of wilderness. It wasn't always just huge sand dunes. Judea, where Jesus fasted and prayed, was a wilderness. It was a, a barren place, naturally speaking. There was a lack of water, and it's water that produces life. And it says here, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. What a beautiful promise that is. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. And the crocus is one of the first flowers that seems to spring up at the time of springtime, of rejuvenation. And the crocus flower is specifically given to us here. But So there's going to be uh, the Lord prophesying through Isaiah, there's going to be a turning from the desert. But it's more than naturally speaking. What, what joy there would be if the desert did spring into life so that they could plant crops and so forth. But if we look at the end of verse 2, it's then likened spiritually, not simply naturally. And here it says, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, but notice at the end of verse 2, they shall see, the people of God, the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. And it's the mouth of the Lord who, who speaks this. And when we, we've just read in Matthew's Gospel, 700 years later, Jesus of Nazareth would be born and would begin to preach, and Israel would see the glory of the Lord, which would be through Jesus Christ. And yet it's a forward-looking promise, 700 years before that will be fulfilled. And how we need patience in the church of God always. The desert shall rejoice and blossom, but they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the Word who became flesh. No one has ever seen God and, and lived. We can't see God and live. But the coming of Jesus is the glory of the Lord revealed. And as he walked around the shores of Galilee, as he performed miracles, as he healed the blind, we're seeing the glory of the Lord that was being revealed in everything that Jesus taught, everything he said, everything he did. Every miracle was from the hand of the Heavenly Father. What a wonderful thing it is. So it's pointing the people of God forward to the day when they will see the glory of the Lord. But our second heading is this, is that God saves. That God saves. Because they saw something of the glory of the Lord in the Old Testament when the glory of God would come down on the tabernacle. Remember that. The glory of the Lord would come. But the glory of the Lord may come but it doesn't mean that you will be saved necessarily. But with the coming of Jesus, it's more than the glory of the Lord revealed. Remember, Jesus said this, He came to seek and save 
that which was lost. Isn't that wonderful? How, how did God work in your life for you to be brought to Christ? We looked recently about Lydia and said, were you, were you drawn? In what way did God, well, everyone who was brought to Christ is drawn, but was your testimony more like Lydia or was it more like Paul? And in, in, in effect, it doesn't really matter as long as we're brought to Christ. What a wonderful thing to be brought to Christ. And he's the good shepherd. He doesn't just save us for a few weeks. He saves us for all eternity. He will be our guide even unto death. What a good shepherd that we have. And so our second heading is that God saves. And in verse 3 and 4, if you look there, the prophecy goes on. From the desert blossoms to verse 3, it says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. And then notice it says, he will come and save you. He will come. Not maybe. He will come. And not only will he come, but he will come and bring salvation. And the very name of Jesus means what? It means the Lord saves. It means the Lord is salvation. His very name is bound up with his purpose to seek and save that which is lost. So our heading that God saves really points us to the, the redemptive work of God to rescue that which is lost. He will come and save you. And this was given again 700 years before the literal arrival of Jesus. Imagine when that prophecy was given. Maybe you're thinking, maybe, maybe this is wonderful. Maybe the Messiah is about to come. And it was to build up an expectancy. But none of us know the day or the hour when he came his first time. And, but he came. And also he will come again. And so we find here that he will come and save you. We find three things. First, it will be his first coming, which, which happened. We have all recorded in Scripture. But secondly, at his resurrection he will come and save you. We wouldn't have salvation without the resurrection that Jesus was raised from the dead. We serve a living Savior. But thirdly, he will come and save you, which will be finally consummated in the second coming of Jesus. Something that we perhaps do not emphasize enough about in our own day. The second return of Christ. But notice what the encouragement is pastorally in verse 3. This is going to be for some years yet. There's going to be a lot of trials and difficulties. Exile into Babylon and different things they're going to face. And it says here in verse 3, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. And how the church needs that in every generation. For whatever difficulties we face, we think about, as we prayed recently, for Christians living in countries where there is vigorous persecution. And we're praying recently about China 
And for example, there's a story on one website that the police just turned up at this girl's house as a Christian and then took her away to be interrogated for 24 hours. And these things happen today. This is not something that's far off and it used to happen at the time of the Reformation. These things still happen today in some parts of the world or many parts of the world. And so this verse here, he will come and save you, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees is always needed for us in the church. That the promises of God will be fulfilled but in God's way, in God's timing, and by his power. And so therefore we can be encouraged that God promises that we're to strengthen the weak hands, we're to make firm the feeble knees. And then it says, say to those of an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, and behold your God. Three things, to those of an anxious heart. And again, the history of the church goes through many different seasons. There were times in the 16th and 17th century in this country. We found a, a book in our house recently which was given to children about a hundred years ago, and it was about the persecution that happened to Protestants. I thought, praise God. To think a hundred years ago, it was a, a, it was a Sunday school near to our house, and he had it on the front of the book. And, and it talked about all the pressures that, that Protestants have faced in the 16th and 17th century. And children were reading that kind of a book about a hundred or 120 years ago. What does that do for us, reading that kind of a book? It strengthens the weak hands and makes firm the feeble knees. There were people who were literally burned for their faith because they refused to deny Jesus that he alone is sufficient for salvation. It seems so far off for us today. But it strengthens our faith. And, and as it says here in the Word of God, it says we're to say to those who have an anxious heart, number one, be strong. Number two, fear not. But number three, behold your God. And so let's just think about that for a moment, to say to one another, and how much more to say that in preaching, to encourage us this morning, if anybody is here with an anxious heart, or you may be in 20 years' time, who knows what persecution might come in the years ahead. We've no idea. We don't know when Jesus will come back. We don't know what the future holds. But what we know, the Word of God has been strengthening the church here for years and years. It says, say to those of anxious heart, be strong. And that's not to be strong in ourselves. In ourselves, we are weak. But our strength is from the Lord. How many of you like the book of Philippians? You like reading Philippians? If you actually get Philippians out during this week and you want to encourage yourself, it's one of Paul's prison letters, one of his prison letters. And if you read it out loud, it will take you, I've timed myself, and it took me 
20 minutes or thereabout to read it. And to read it, you know, normally, not, not, not going through like that. And there's so much encouragement there to encourage the church then and now to be strong and to fear not. And one of the things that Paul tells the church there, he tells them that he's in prison and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, sometimes Christians use that in all kinds of ways. And uh, I don't want to rob people of faith. They may be facing their exams at university and they'll be saying, Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But in its context, Paul is in prison and saying he's content in prison. And he's saying his contentment is based on Christ strengthening him to rejoice in that situation. And so we can be encouraged that the Word of God says, say to those of an anxious heart, be strong. And then secondly, fear not. When you read about these Protestant martyrs who were burned at the, fa at the, at the stake for their faith, we can't imagine, can we? And, and all I can imagine is that there must be a grace from God that's given to Christians when they face such a thing. Because here it says, be strong, uh, fear not, don't have an anxious heart. Well, naturally speaking, of course you would. But reading about these things and reading about Paul in prison in Philippians strengthens our faith to fear not. In fact, Jesus said there's only one thing that we should fear, which is God himself is God himself. But then thirdly, it says, behold your God. What a wonderful phrase. Behold your God. We're here this morning because we trust that we're here to worship the triune God and that we can say, this God in the Bible is my God. As Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, in the life I now live. He said, I live by faith in the one who loved me, he says. Praise God, if you can say this morning, that Jesus loved me, that he was crucified for me. And so it says here, behold your God. Is there anything greater that we need at the beginning of a new year than to be reminded, behold your God. Behold your God. Behold means to, to gaze upon Christ. To think and meditate upon our God who's above and beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. The sun rose this morning. Behold your God who caused the sun to rise. Behold your God who keeps all the planets in a perfect trajectory. And we praise God that we can behold our God as our creator. Everything about creation makes us bow in worship, doesn't it? What about the birth of a new baby? There you cradle the baby and, and the fingernails are there. And that little baby begins to cry. And God has fashioned and formed that baby in his hands. Of course, the world has a different message. The world says, 
behold your evolutionary process. Well, that's not the message of the Bible. Our message is, behold your God. God the creator. God who formed all things. Behold your God, your redeemer. And so we're reminded as we appointed to Christ here, it says he will come and save you. And he came and he walked and lived a sinless life. And we know all the aspects of the gospel story of his crucifixion, of his resurrection, and then of his ascension, and his work continues, and he will come again to save us. But we'll come back to that in a moment as we think about Revelation chapter 22 and verse, uh, or the verses there where he says, Behold, I am coming soon. And we'll leave that for a moment. We'll get to our third and last heading this morning from verse 5 that Christ Jesus heals, that the Messiah, when he comes, he will heal. And let's hear from our third heading, from verses 5 through to verse 7. And there are times in, in Isaiah that you get references to the, the blind being able to see, and it's spiritual, but here there's more to it. It's foretelling about the work of Jesus. It says, verse 5, the heading is, Christ Jesus heals, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And in this spiritually barren time, when Jesus would come, it would be like a spiritual desert, and indeed it was, as the Pharisees were filling the land with false teaching. And then Jesus came, and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He takes away that sin as he's the Passover Lamb, and points not to himself, but points to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. And then it tells us here, there are four kinds of people who will be affected. There were far more. It tells us here, the blind, the deaf, the lame man, and uh, the tongue of the mute. The mute. And what we learn here is something very important for us, that when the Messiah comes, he will effect physical cures. And we don't find anybody in the Bible, except Jesus, who performs so many physical healings as Jesus and it's prophesied for us here so every time we open the Bible and we read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John we're to remind it ah Isaiah 35 every time we see a blind man healed we're to remind ourselves Isaiah 35 this was prophesied that that's what the Messiah would do when he would come every time we read of a mute singing and praising God we're to remember Ah, Isaiah 35, this was prophesied. And so, when we look at all the physical healings that happened at the time of Jesus, what can we learn about that? What does it point us to? Well, it points us to several things, but all the physical healings in the Gospels, they point us, firstly, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. 
He is the one. It was predicted that he will do all these things in Isaiah 35. But it points us to something greater because everybody who was also healed in the Gospels, they ended up dying at some later stage of some other, perhaps, other disease. And it points us forward also, these physical healings that Jesus did in his ministry, it points us forward to the day when we all will receive new resurrection bodies. And everybody will receive a new resurrection body. And Jesus spoke about this, about the separation of the sheep and the goats. But everyone, he says, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, whether people have lived a life that was being good or evil, and he's talking about righteous or unrighteous, everyone will receive new resurrection bodies. But if your faith is in Jesus, you will spend eternity with the Son of God in heaven with a new body. Are you looking forward this morning to a new resurrected body? One that's without sweat, without pain, without toothache, without having to wear glasses. You can see perfectly in heaven. You won't be needing glasses to look to God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so Alec Matea, who's a commentator, who's with the Lord himself now, he said this about these physical healings that Jesus performed. He said, here is the Old Testament background to the New Testament doctrine of the redemption of the body. The contrast between the two faculties of eyes and ears and those two of action, leaping and singing, expresses totality. And in the resurrection of the body, we will have total redemption and for all eternity. And so for those whose faith is in Jesus, we will be given new resurrection bodies to serve and worship the Lord. As we think in John's Gospel, as we come to a close, we think of all the different miracles that Jesus did. He, he turned water into wine, didn't he, at the wedding at the Cana of Galilee. Jesus healed the official son simply by speaking the word in Cana of Galilee. Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda who had been invalid and lame for 38 years. Remember, he fed the 5,000 and how these signs point that Jesus is the Messiah. How Jesus walked on water because he has power over the wind and the waves and all the force of gravity. He is indeed the son of a living God. Remember how he healed the man who was born blind. We, we read about this in Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. No, not every blind man, not every blind woman, but he will heal some. And we find in John's Gospel, chapter 9, a man born blind. Born blind. Imagine never having seen a tree. Imagine never having seen a sparrow. And Christ miraculously heals that man's eyes. Why? He's the Son of God. But also, the rising of Lazarus from the dead. What's that for a healing? Not only is Lazarus healed for never caused him to die, but he's raised up from the dead. And then probably as we 
Think of this, the miracle of all miracles is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And if we confess our faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit's done a work in us, then the Bible tells us that we confess Jesus to be Lord, but we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that this morning? If you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, then we're given that as a mark of assurance that God has given us a new heart. He will come and save you. And as we close this morning, we think about the second coming of Jesus. Who knows when that will be? Maybe some of us will die and go to be with the Lord before he comes again. But let's think about when we either go ahead to see the Lord or when Jesus comes back. Let's just close this morning and think about the forward-looking promise of the gospel. The day will come when we will, as Christians, be in heaven with an imperishable crown on our heads. We've done nothing to deserve this. It's all by God's lavish grace. We'll walk on the golden streets in heaven. Imagine that. No more dusty life down here. But something more. The Bible teaches in, in Revelation that we'll be given something in our hands in heaven. A palm branch to wave before Christ. To point towards his victory. What a wonderful promise that is for us. Thinking about heaven, the forward-looking promise of God. So here we are in heaven. And then we look at ourselves and we, we think, well, what are we clothed in? And the Bible tells us we will be clothed as the saints of God with a white linen robe of Christ's righteousness. Imagine that. Clothed in heaven. Palm branch in our hands. But something more. And then we, our lips in heaven will be filled with praise. Perfect praise of the triune God and all that he has done. And what's more, our eyes will behold the King. He will come and save you. And save you for all eternity. And there won't be a tomorrow to think, will I see him tomorrow? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And this is the hope of heaven. What a wonderful gospel we have. And we don't want anyone to miss that. And so as you've heard this message today, I urge you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Keep following Jesus. Keep looking to Christ because we have a wonderful inheritance as the church of God.